This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. But in the meantime, there is a way for sport to happen even without a league, even without really a a venue where it's normally taken place. In fact, if you look at Centennial Hall right now, it is as equipped for sport as it has ever been. Joining us to talk about what's happening inside Centennial Hall and what's gone into making it possible is Brad Jones from the Jones Entertainment Group. Brad, how are things? You know what, Mike? Uh, thanks for having us on. We're, uh, you know, it's been a long nine months as we've been uh, dealing with this in sports and entertainment world. So, you know, yesterday and today were very positive, exciting days uh, around here. Well, for anybody who hasn't heard yet, let's picture Centennial Hall, picture being on Wellington. You're right across from Victoria Park, and everybody can remember what concerts they have seen there. This has been a a concert venue at times. We have seen charity events there, charity casinos, things like that. If we were to walk through those doors, and then you've got the area outside, and you could walk through into the actual hall part of Centennial Hall, what would we see? You would see a 50% to scale NHL arena, rink boards, netting all the way around, gates that open so you can change on the fly. You would see a real hockey rink, uh, minus the ice. We have a temporary floor down, so it is the, the world's greatest uh, street hockey um, festival. Jammed into Centennial Hall for the month of December through uh, March the 30th. <laughs> I think as people were trying to picture what we were doing, I mean, the visions of elephants or yeah. well, who knows, were Willy Wonka's Oompa Loompas. But no, yeah. it is a scaled NHL hockey rink. So yeah. let us know how this is all going to work. Because, of course, COVID <laughs> protocols it come is, into yeah. every part of life. How yeah, do they I'm, factor in here? I'm, I'm happy to talk about it because it's something we're very proud of. So just to give you a little bit of a backstory. So two years ago, um, our team at Jones Entertainment Group created Hockey Fest, and it is 30 uh, hockey arenas uh, that travel in three transport trucks across the country. Uh, We have partnerships with the Chicago Blackhawks, Ottawa Senators. Uh, Until COVID hit, we have deals that we will you know, re-up again in 2021 or 2022 with like the Minnesota Wild, Columbus Blue Jackets. We've had many discussions with LA Kings. So, so it, it, what you've seen in London, uh, our first year was at Western Fair. Our second year was at Westmount Shopping Center. So we just, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, Mike, uh, I own 30 sets of ring boards and three tractor trailers that are sitting in a yard that we typically don't pull out until May, June, and July, August. And so I said to my team, go grab one of the rinks. Um, we know, um, you know, our, our other business runs and operates Centennial Hall. So it's my job to be as creative as I can to bring in some rental revenue for Centennial Hall and, and the city of London, ultimately the taxpayers. So I just put our two businesses together and said, you know, in many cases, Centennial Hall having a flat floor is not a positive as people, you know, would say, geez, I was in row 20 and I could barely see the stage. But we're taking that negative and turning it into a positive and say, you know what, with a flat floor, removing a thousand seats off of it, I could actually put one of our mini rinks up. So that's what we did. 
Um, that's the method behind the madness. We feel that there's a market for rentals, for birthday parties, for corporate team buildings. Um, we, we, just in the last 24 hours, we've had four or five emails from uh, men, a group of friends, 14 guys that want to get together, have a beer because we're licensed. They want to have a beer and play road hockey in a safe environment. Um, you know, you talk about the COVID protocols. If you go on our website, there's a 15-point COVID protocol that starts with when you walk into Centennial Hall, you cannot get into the building until your temperature is checked. That's check one. Um, you come out and, you know, there's obviously no body checking or contact, that type of thing. Um, we have staff to make sure of that. Uh, if there's any spectators, it's limited to one person per one spectator per participant. But, you know, we've got lots of seats for parents or girlfriends or boyfriends to spread out. Uh, they can have a drink sitting in their seat watching their sons or their boyfriends play street hockey. And uh, <laughs> we just think it's it's different. You know what? Um, it's a world that you need to be creative in. I, I'm tired of sitting on my hands. My staff um, are looking at me every day saying, what can we do? And the world is, is a terrible place if you're in sports and entertainment. Um, you know, there's a lot of businesses and industries that are kicking butt right now. Ours isn't one of them. Um, I believe that when we come through this, and if it's six months or a year from now, and there's a vaccine, uh, I'm excited. I get out of bed every day saying, you know what, our business will be bigger and better than ever um, because people will want to go out and when they know it's safe. And so, you know, on a very small scale right now, we can make people feel safe at Centennial Hall, at, you know, at 25 people at a time, you know, come down, have a birthday party, order some pizzas in, um, you know, the dads can have a couple of beers and, you know what, just try to bring a little bit of normal back to, you know, because I, I don't know, Mike, I've got two sons in minor hockey in West London and, you know, they stand like robots and they wait for that arena manager to kick the door open and they got to run in and put their skates on and they, they sit in different uh, rooms from their buddies and, I mean, this, and they can scrimmage, but they can't play another game. And it's just, it's, it's, it's an awful time, you know? It has been. It really has been. And it's it's one of those things we're just kind of dealing with. And like you say, you want to be able to wake up one day, you jump out of bed, and things can things can be a, a little bit more normal or, or maybe a whole lot closer to normal than maybe we're letting us ourselves believe right now. We're talking with Brad Jones from Jones Entertainment Group. So is this something that is just kind of available and people go through Jones Entertainment Group yeah, to set up? Or are you looking calls, at a formal yeah. thing? Absolutely. There's both, both, Mike, to be honest with you. We've had, uh, as I said, we've had probably 50 calls or emails within 24 hours of that hitting the newspaper and on television and, you know, you speaking about it. So um, there's obviously a demand there. Uh, we've had a couple of birthday parties, a couple of corporate events that have booked it for two hours, ranges in price from 125 to $150 an hour. Um, you know, there's an option, hey, put six beers on ice for two or three dads to sit and watch the kids. We, we can do that for you as well. Um, not unlike the spikes volleyball, you know, um, business that's in town. I mean, uh, we're just trying to be creative. Um, you know, the, the halls here, you know, we've got to turn the heat on every day. Anyways, we might as well have, you know, 25 people every hour in the building having fun and being active. And what, we've got a few emails that have said, Hey, my son's Bantam team has, um, 15 kids on it we're going to divide it by two and we'll have two teams and so you're still you know in the bubble with your team um but you're playing a little bit more competitive and you're having fun it's ball hockey rather than not just ice hockey 
you spend so much of your time talking with performers and, and talking with people and, and setting dates and creating big events. What is it like for those performers right now? Do you still wind up reaching out to them, talking with them from time to time? Well, I can tell you that uh, David Faraday from NBC Sports is, is my personal client. We do all his business for him uh, in the States and Canada and worldwide, actually. Um, and he and I talk once a week. I mean, he still works with NBC uh, doing the, you know, he's working not this weekend, but next weekend for the shark shootout, like the father and son down in Florida for NBC. He, you know, he did the BMW championship, uh, did the Atlanta, um, the tour championship. So I can speak personally to, to he and his wife, Anita. I mean, listen, he'd rather be out on the road with me doing, um, you know, 30 theaters in the States, selling out 1,500 to 2,000 theaters. I mean, there's a lot of boredom set in with, with him and, and other commentators that we know. Um, but yeah, musicians, you know, the Canadian country acts that we know personally, I mean, they're dying, Mike, to get out and perform. And some of them did these um, drive-ins, but, uh, you know, on a business side, there's it, it wasn't financially, you know, you know, there was next to nothing made uh, on these drive-in theaters. By the time the artists got paid and the sound and lights, I mean, there's 200 cars. You can only charge so many, you know, dollars per car. And so that was sort of a gimmicky thing. One I didn't want to get involved in. Certainly friends of mine, you know, across Canada did. At the end of the day, nine out of ten of them said they wish they hadn't done it because it was so much work for nothing. Um, but in some cases, it was just to keep staff busy and, you know, that type of thing. But, yeah, people people are in sports and entertainment, friends of mine that play in the NHL, they're dying to get back. I mean, that's a whole other thing. We're watching it very closely because a lot of our contacts with these NHL clubs, um, you know, we go in and we build out their fan fest with Hockey Fest, and they're all saying, hey, Jonesy, great idea. We love it. We're going to do it. But, you know, love the idea. This is amazing. But, and, and that big but is, is COVID, and whether it's rapid testing or vaccines, I mean, it is really up right now for us at the hurry up and wait. Um, but you know what? That, as I said, that's what gets us out of bed every day. We got a great little team here at Jones Entertainment, and uh, both my brother and I are very excited and super, uh, you know, positive what's going to happen. It might be Q3 or Q4, um, but you know, when it is, uh, we'll be here and we'll be ready to put 40,000 people back in the park for Rock the Park and stuff 1,600 people in Centennial Hall for Wiggles concerts and, you know, that type of stuff. But, but you know what, I, um, back to the to the rink in London, I mean, we were just trying to be creative and, and put our two businesses together. And, and whether we do one rental on a, on a Tuesday or we're sold out on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it, it's going to be what it's going to be. And it drives some rental revenue, as I said, back to the city of London. And, and so let's, let's, be as creative as we can and, and just try to give people a little bit of fun. You know, we ran the tournament at Westmount Shopping Center, Mike, and had 140 teams come out, basically sold it out, and people felt safe. And, and you know, you hear kids giggling and laughing again. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's that's what I want to hear more of. Yeah. Brad Jones joining us from Jones Entertainment. Is it possible, you mentioned Rock the Park, depending on, on how things progress in the next few months, could we do it outside the summer, or would it be one of those things that would have to happen in the summer? I know there's there's an awful lot of planning that goes into it. <laughs> there is. I mean, the good news right now, we basically have three of our four nights programmed. Um, 
two of the nights were the exact same. So, you know, what's what's really a, a cool thing and a tribute to sort of the Rock the Park brand is um, we offered refunds. And, and listen, in one day, we refunded $1.2 million to, to people that wanted refunds. I mean, that's not our business. That's not our money until that weekend comes and goes. So, you know, unlike the airline industry or a lot of the other major ticketing companies, people are fighting to get their money back. That is, to me, is the most disgusting thing in the world. People give you their money in hopes that you're going to do, and we're not able to do it. So we were able to, you know, we just absolutely, my brother and I made that decision. It's not our money. Give it back to the people, which we did. But in regards to this summer, Mike, um, I'll be honest with you. I think at best it's a 50-50 if we're able to run in July. Um, You know, I've talked to Brian Ole a few times from Bud Gardens, and and they're looking at sort of next fall of 2021 before there's, and, and I don't want to speak for him. You could have him on, but, you know, there's, you know, there's vaccine talk for March, April, but when, you know, people get it, you got to go back 26 days later to get another shot. Are you and your wife going to feel comfortable coming to Centennial Hall or outside and, and <clears throat> there's just, or go to a Knights game and sit beside someone and be coughed on? I mean, there's, I, I think we're still several months away from anything like that uh, and, and even, even reason to have a discussion on it. Um, listen, we're going to be, we're a small, tiny office that we are loaded and ready to go as soon as we get a green light, whereas a lot of the, you know, the big sports teams or leagues or other entertainment companies, it takes them months to get ready to roll. If we got a green light on April or May that said the world is safe, put a festival on, I can guarantee you with everything I own that Rock the Park will happen in July, you know, 2021. But uh, until we get that call, until people feel safe and <clears throat> listen, they can come out with a vaccine, but it's public perception. Do you feel comfortable mm-hmm. going into a place? And and that's the unknown, Mike, that none of us as promoters uh, or managers of artists know. Uh, and until that is sort of tried and proven, and you know, uh, it's 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 a question mark for sure. Definitely. One last thing: dueling pianos. We can't leave this without talking dueling <laughs> pianos. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, I can tell you, I said this to uh, Joe Belanger from the Free Press. I don't think I've ever been so excited about talking to an event that's going to have 50 people at it. Um, but you know what? It's our new normal. And uh, it's the first touring uh, act inside a venue in uh, the 10 months by the time January rolls around. Um, this act I've seen many times in Las Vegas at New York, New York, and if any of your listeners have been there, they know what a great, fun party atmosphere it is. Uh, again, dealing with the, the Middlesex, Middlesex Health Unit and the province of Ontario, we're capped at a uh, 1,600-seat venue is capped at 50 people, and so we have um, basically eight tables of six uh, all two meters apart, spread out, COVID-friendly, uh, around two six-foot grand pianos face-to-face. Um, and the two folks that typically work in Las Vegas are actually from Edmonton, Alberta. So they're going to come in, and I can tell you this morning we sold out two and added two more shows that look like they're going to sell out today. So you could... Uh, Pretty well, you know, we're, we're excited to say that uh, six shows, hopefully times 50 people, so 300 people are going to see some amazing entertainment on the stage in mid-January. Um, you know, listen, I wish we were talking about 40,000 people at Rock the Park, but we're talking about 50 people. But, you know, um, with we thought about the idea a few months ago too, Mike, but the reality is with patios uh, open and golf courses, I, I didn't want to try to compete with that. Let, let those... 
you know, restaurants, um, you know, get as much businesses as they can. Um, but now those days are over. So we feel that this is, you know, in January, the January blah comes. We feel that, uh, you know, again, same thing. You walk into Centennial Hall, your temperature is taken. All things in between shows are staff um, sort of defumigate or disinfect, if you will, the, the chairs. And we change linens and, and wash anything down like in washroom facilities. So we're going to do everything as a city building that we can to make sure everybody feels very safe. Um, and yeah, come on out and see us and tickets are on sale this morning. They can go on, you know, centennialhalllondon.ca and, and get those tickets. As I said, we had two shows sold out this morning and we're hoping to add a couple of more, um, today or tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy that you and I are having this conversation and, and you can hear my excitement for 50 people, but that is the world we're living in. That's it. Well, you know what? We'll live in it for now. And I love the optimism of, the 20,000, the 40,000, even the 10,000. Yeah. We'll get to those thousand numbers right now. Let's uh, let's enjoy what we can. Brad, thanks for being creative and coming through with ways to, uh, to give us a, a little break from COVID. Hey, thanks for your time, Mike. All the best. Take care. Be safe. Okay. Thanks, buddy. That's Brad Jones from Jones Entertainment Group. So a rink inside Centennial Hall, dueling pianos, and as Brad says, there'll come a day where he hops out of bed and he's planning for thousands. But that trust factor, that's, that's big. On October 23rd, 2017, Josie Glenn was reported missing. Four days after that, her remains were found. Not long after that, an arrest was made. And now this case has reached a sentencing in the court case that went through the Josie Glenn disappearance and ultimately and sadly, tragically, her murder. Joining us right now is 980C FPL reporter Andrew Graham. Andrew, this morning you were able to hear about the sentencing. Take us through the latest in this case, please. So the latest that we heard this morning is that he will be sentenced uh, to life in prison with no chance of parole for 14 years. Now that 14 years actually started when he was first arrested. So that's October 27th of 2017. So from now that'd be about 11 years in 2020. So the goal is to have him serve life in prison, no chance of parole. And when I spoke to the mother of Josie Glenn, the victim in this case, Trisha Glenn, she told me, you know, that she kind of hopes he stays there for a long time because Obviously, you know, she doesn't want this to happen again to anyone. Absolutely. In talking with the mother of Josie Glenn, how is she doing right now? Because this is one of those days that that we can't even imagine what it might be like. But, you know, the, the sentencing comes down and all of a sudden you have a almost a finality to it. How is she doing? She said it was a hard day in court, you know, with the sentencings, you really do relive the entire case during the judge's decision. Justice Duncan Grace, he read through the statement of facts, detailed the entire night that led to the murder of Josie Glenn and uh, her going to his home, her hiding her remains, all these very horrific details. So as a mother to relive that, you know, definitely not an easy experience. And I asked her, you know, now that we have the sentencing in, does this, does this help with the healing process? Does this help with grieving? And she said, she said the answer is no. She's never going to heal from this. She says three years later she can't even look at photos of her daughter anymore because she's so, so, so hurt from this entire process. Hurt doesn't even describe it. And 
again, it was just a very, very traumatic day for her. And uh, you can tell, I mean, these things, you don't really, you don't, you don't come back the same person after something like this happens to you. Andrew Graham joining us, 980 CFPL reporter. So in, in terms of this case now, is this, is this the, the final chapter in it? This is now case closed, sentencing read, and now everyone tries to move on? It, it is it is that that level of the case. We are awaiting the uh, the judge's decision. We will have that forward that to us uh, tomorrow. But in terms of that decision itself, what he gave was a little more background into the into the into Oluwatobi Boyedi here. Uh, he detailed, you know, that he grew up in Nigeria. He was sexually abused when he was nine years old. His parents didn't believe him at the time. That caused some distance between the two. He was very academically gifted. He did well in elementary school and secondary school. He went to the University of Waterloo, but his grades started to suffer a bit. He started consuming drugs. He had no social connections. So a lot of struggles with mental health and a lot of other struggles just in general in his life. Uh, again, it's a lot of details, a lot of a, a lot to be said here. But at the end of the day, you know, there is a victim here and there is a mother without a daughter. So hopefully this does bring some closure to that. But again, from speaking with the mother... There really is no closure in something like this. Andrew, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you for having me, Mike. That's Andrew Graham, 980 CFPL reporter, reporting today on the sentencing of Oluwatabi Boyedi, who has been sentenced to life in prison with no parole for 14 years. The sentence, as Andrew points out, takes effect from the day of his arrest, which actually goes back to October 27th of 2017. So you do get a period of time served in that, but a life sentence, no parole for 14 years. And the judge's decision will be one of the final pieces likely to come in this, and that should be in the hands of reporters by tomorrow. Right now, we have an opportunity to talk education. Joining us is the Dean of the Chang School of Continuing Studies at Ryerson University, Gary Hepburn. Dean Hepburn, how are you? I'm fine, Mike. How are you today? Not too bad. We have seen a lot of changes to the way that education is delivered going back to March when the Premier said, hey, we'll take a three-week March break. And there were a lot of people who expected to see students go back at the end of those three weeks. Didn't quite happen. And we've seen a lot of things implemented for remote learning. You decided to have a look at how this is playing out. What did you want to examine? Well, we we did some work in the Chang School. And when we went to remote learning, and I should mention quickly, there is a mixture of things. We, We actually do online learning normally. So we had fully developed online courses that were prepared and intended to be that. But as everybody switched to remote learning, we quickly had to take our classroom courses and convert those into ones that we could deliver online or virtually. So there's quite a difference between those two styles of course. But since we had all of the students taking one form of online course or another, we wanted to learn as much as we could about the experience they were having, and that's what we were looking for. Okay. And what are you finding about that experience that students are having? Well, we're finding that the students were essentially quite quite happy with what they got. Now, I should preface this and, and say that students weren't expecting this. So there were many students who were, were not happy with the fact that they had to go online. 
but what we were not we weren't and we and we realized that many students um you know that that was a sore point for them or a difficulty and there are many other difficulties uh that that were related to this such as loss of income um whether they were actually set up at home to participate in online learning but what we really wanted to know is when they we had so many students experiencing online learning how it actually did go for them and what we did find on the whole, because we were asking about would they want to take these courses again when we look at a big picture, 92% of our students said that they would actually um, take online courses again from the Chang School. And I should mention we were just looking at Chang School students. We weren't looking more broadly. Right. We're talking with Gary Hepburn, Dean of the Chang School of Continuing Studies at Ryerson University. So this kind of catches the eye because we had the Ontario Confederation of University Faculty Associations that put together a survey and they showed that yeah, there was kind of that lukewarm reaction to how things are going and this one paints a, a much better picture of how students are, are enjoying things. When you look at the comparison, what comparison do you particularly draw? Well, I think you know, I, th I, I have looked at the, um, at, at the survey you mentioned as well, and I think it has lots of good information in it about how people experience the shift to remote teaching. But there's a major error that has caused some confusion. So as I mentioned um, earlier, there were online courses that were developed to be online. Those are often developed over many months. Um, we have subject matter experts working with online learning experts, and they put together a course. That's what we typically mean by online learning at Ryerson and at other universities as well. What they did is really looked at all of the faculty members to experience the sudden change to remote learning. So they put their courses online. They sometimes had some support from the university, but they did it themselves. And as you would imagine, that was very difficult for both faculty and students to do. And when they looked at the reaction that, that students and faculty had to that experience, they referred to it as online learning, and to me, it's not the same thing. Um, it, it was basically emergency remote learning, a very fast pivot to deliver everything online. But unfortunately, the headline came out and said students um, have had negative experiences with online learning, which I think is a bit misleading. Right. And that, that totally makes sense. If you've engineered something to be online learning, it's probably going to be a little different than, well, this is the only way left that we have to do this. So here we go. It does make a big difference. We're talking with Gary Hepburn, the dean of the Chang School of Continuing Studies at Ryerson University. Dean Hepburn, if we're going to look at education going forward, do you think we'll take anything out of what we've been through over the last what could end up being about a year or, or more? and stick with it and say, you know, uh, having students at home one day or having students in this particular discipline able to learn remotely, that's going to be something we hang on to? Or do you think it'll go back to a more traditional way? I mean, you've mentioned the Chang School of Continuing Studies. You were already doing a lot of the online learning. Do you think it catches on? Oh, I think it will. You know, I, I think it will become a much bigger part of education. Now, of course, when classrooms are open again and it is safe to use them, um, we will start to do a lot of teaching in classrooms again. There is no question about that. But I think we do have options now to do um, partial hybrid courses, as we call them, partially online, partially in a classroom. 
There also there's also the ability to incorporate many um, parts of courses that maybe don't go completely hybrid, but they just have more online character to them. I also think students have become, and this is the most interesting part to me, students have now experienced a wide range of educational delivery. And I think they're going to become very demanding consumers. And we're already beginning to see that. They're beginning to tell us what they like about the online courses and the online experiences we provided for them and what they don't like. So I, I think there's going to be a lot more choice and there's going to be more utilization of online methods in teaching and learning. There are students now, and, and many students know this because they go through the testing, that maybe learn more efficiently online, remotely, at their own pace, that sort of thing. Is that the kind of thing that could be what we see going forward, where students who actually do learn better that way have more of an opportunity to do so? Um, yes, absolutely. I've spoken to many students um, who, who have talked about the advantages of it. If you can imagine in Toronto, many students spend hours commuting to come to class and back each day. And they have found now they have more hours in their day where they're not without a commute. But also other students who just have trouble with the with the um, the, the context of coming to a campus um, have found some relief. So, for example, many students suffer from anxiety, and they they find it challenging to come to campus. And they found a new way to engage in education. So it's created access and a much more comfortable learning situation for students like that. But there are many variations of this. So some students have found this to be to be quite quite an exciting experience that gives them hope for for how they're going to conduct their education so i think we will see more students making the choice to learn online well we really appreciate your insight dean hepburn thank you so much for the time and conducting the survey and stay safe going forward thank you very much mike it's been a pleasure talking to you that's Gary Hepburn, Dean of the Chang School of Continuing Studies at Ryerson University. So, again, they were looking at their particular school of continuing studies and looking at some of the advantages to online learning. And one of the things to remember is not to confuse online learning and emergency, we've got to do it this way or it's not going to happen learning. And that's that's a really good point. And the idea that there are students that learn different ways and We've got a one-size-fits-all in a lot of ways in education, and that maybe is the thing that gets addressed coming out of this pandemic. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.